Welcome to Just One Q. I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, a diversity, equity, and inclusion advocate. In this podcast, I chat with industry experts and thought leaders about the latest trends related to diversity, equity, and inclusion in the workplace. Each episode, I ask just one question tied to current events. The goal is to leave you with the tools that you need to drive change in your own life, both personally and professionally. What's the first thing that comes to mind when you think about your workplace respect and sexual harassment prevention policy? For too many workplaces, it's a long document filed away that only gets pulled out when an issue of harassment, violence, or discrimination occurs. But what if we thought about these policies differently? What if we thought about them as more than a box ticking exercise or a legal requirement? What if we approach training around workplace violence, sexual harassment, and discrimination as more than a compliance issue, and instead thought about it as a heart-centered issue that we could use to transform attitudes and behaviors? What would that look like? And what does that even mean? So for today's question, I'm asking, how can organizations bring their respect in the workplace policy to life by moving away from a compliance-centered approach to a heart-centered approach? And to answer today's question, I'm joined by Adriana Lee. Adriana, thank you so much for having me, or for having me, for joining me today. (laughs) It's great to be here. Thanks so much for asking me to come, Melissa. So just to give you a little bit of information about Adriana, she is a self-described recovering lawyer. (laughs) She's passionate about gender equality and is the founder of ALG Consulting and is now a global gender consultant, facilitator, and trainer, writer and speaker, committed to building safer, gender equitable, caring, and inclusive workplaces and organizations that are free of sexual harassment and gender-based violence. Adriana delivers global workshops, sexual harassment and violence policy and reporting processes development, implementation coaching to managers and HR and thought leadership. Her work has been showcased by Charity Village, Medium, UN Women, Sexual Violence Research Initiative, Brains Magazine, and World Pulse, among others. Impressive. Um, Adriana, I know that we have a lot to cover today, so let's get right into it. Um, What do you mean when you say we need to move away from a compliance-based approach to a heart-centered approach when it comes to respect in the workplace? Great question. And I've been putting down notes. I'm like, okay, how do we talk to folks in a simple way? Look, we've We've done a compliance-centered approach to these issues for years. And what I mean when I say that as a recovering lawyer is that we have, you know, a legal framework and or a policy in the workplace um, that says, in a nutshell, what you can and you can't do. Okay, so just to give you that framework, right? And it's a bit of a, a stick approach, right? The carrot versus the stick. So it gives you a common framework. And I, I preface this by saying, You know, as a lawyer, I have no regrets and I bring that into my work. It is important to have a compliance-centered approach, meaning here's what we can and can't do, because we need common norms, a common framework, and we need accountability. What I do um, advocate for and work on in the work in the work that I do is to move beyond a client-centered, sorry, a compliance-centered approach. So it's sort of like a a, a diving board, you know, you jump Mm -hmm. off it, right? And what I think the mistake that a lot of organizations make in a sort of reactive, we got to do this when a new law passes sort of a way is they, oh, the law says we have to do this, or we have an incident, create a policy. And as you noted, it goes on the shelf, right? And it's sort of like a a checkbox exercise. And they may deliver a training on that that says, here's what you do and you can't do. 
And that often, and research shows that that often gets to the surface of things. And actually some behavioral research shows that doing sort of a compliance center 30 minute training on sexual harassment say, which is very sensitive, can actually create more reactions, backlash, and it mm-hmm. may not lead to behavior change. There are some studies that say that men are actually more likely who've done that training to blame the victim because you haven't gone deep enough for them to right. understand, right? So that's in a nutshell. Compliance-centered is, you know, check your box is what we should do based on the law or based on a policy. And jumping off from that is, you know, how do we bring that to life in our day-to-day relationships? Because ultimately these are relational issues, right? And then how do we create positive and more positive relationships and organizations jumping off from those policies? That helps. Yeah, no, definitely. So I, I think that's really interesting because I, I want to go back to the, these are relational issues. And I think that's really interesting because it feels like this, the policies are the, the thing that's legislated, but you're saying this is, this is around, you know, how we interact with each other, how, how we, how we are in the workplace. And it, it's funny that, um, you know, I was Googling before we chatted, I looked at a bunch of respect in the workplace policies and it's legalese and it's dry and it's like, but this is around, I mean, the, the idea is that like, we need to be respectful for, for each other. It, it sets around like what we can expect to experience in a workplace, but it just doesn't feel like it's brought to life or what does that actually, you know, how do we make this so that it, it, it feels alive in a way? Um, yeah, exactly. I think it's interesting. You, you caught onto the, it's a relational issue. I'm very passionate about working on the, the relational level as well as the organizational level. That said, what I think is important is in a heart and human centered approach to say sexual harassment issues is both like, for example, I'll give you some examples of what I do, you know, a lot of role play where there's people taking the role of manager or person who reports the issue and then switching roles and then having a discussion about what came up for them. So just to give you a practical example. And there's a lot of studies that show that having people in that, like in the shoes of another, or you know, discussing and setting goals for themselves about what they can do, putting themselves into these issues makes that it touches on a different level. There's more of a transformation and an awareness of feelings on a human level of impact, which is a big part of talking about respect in the workplace and sexual harassment, the impact on the other. Mm-hmm. And uh, if you're in a lens of your own life, you may not understand the impact of the behavior on another. You've got to get into it a little bit, so to speak. One of the things I wanted to mention about the relational issues, what's also important when we're um, going further than a compliance-centered approach is remembering that these are societal kind of constructs. These are societal, you know, issues that we have. We've all got to talk about bias a lot. You know, when I talk about gender or intersectional different kinds of bias, in a lot of my workshops, we get into it when it comes to talking about myths around, say, sexual harassment. Right. Give you an example. Like, uh, I've done this a lot in some trainings. Like, we talk and we actually have a whole, you know, hour discussion about myths. Like, you know, some women dress this way, so they may have a role in inviting the behavior. These right. beliefs, right, this sound familiar. Or, you know, it was just a joke. Or it's a compliment. Or we can't say anything anymore in the workplace. I talk about all of those myths. Mm-hmm. particularly the victim blaming myths. And we get into discussions about that. And through giving that space, I've seen with some participants, the ability to, they come full circle. 
you know, especially women, women also have these biases where we tend to blame ourselves or blame other women, right? And by the end of one of these workshops, uh, uh, some of the participants said, ah, I actually see that I had a bias, like against the person who reports, say, sexual harassment. I had a bias against somebody coming and saying, you know, that wasn't respectful, that didn't feel good. You have a bias against it. So you have to kind of get into it to help people understand, you know, what we're socialized to think and then how that plays out relationally in our behavior. I think this is really interesting because I, I guess I'm, I'm interested in knowing, you know, so we have a policy to ensure that certain things don't happen so that when things do happen, you can say, look, this isn't the policy, right? So it's, it sort of feels reactive in a way. Yes. And, and how do we move or how do we help organizations realize that this is something that we don't want to just wait to happen to say like, look, no, 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 I'm here. I'm holding up a piece of paper saying, no, we, you can't do that, but to mm. actually sort of be more proactive around this. So when we say bringing it to life, so yeah. if there is a change in the legislation and requires you to do that, how do you bring this to life in, yeah. in a way, or is there a way that we could, we don't have to wait for the law to change that, that organizations or folks are listening saying, okay, yeah. I, I like what I'm hearing. How do I, how do I be proactive about this? Because it, it is often, I think we think about this as a, you know, we do training when something has happened and it's like, okay, yeah. guys, remember the policy? Melissa, totally. Look, I have a lot of different sort of messaging and tap. I think what's important to raise first on your question is that there's not just one way to approach okay. these issues. So when I say human-centered and heart-centered, I know some people might get freaked by the term heart-centered. So I'll start mm-hmm. a little bit more with, say, statistics. With some, you know, business schools that I work with, you know, we start with sort of some statistics around retention, around why it's a good thing and costs associated, you know, associated with, reacting rather Mm -hmm. than preventing. But that's like the tip of the iceberg. But for some folks, it's important when you're in operations or HR to understand that. And then I kind of move a little bit more into some of the heart and the relational stuff, which I think is important to bring folks on board and even managers. So some of the other things that I think are important ways to move to the heart-centered approach and get folks to care about this issue, which is the only way that they're really going to get to prevention a mm-hmm. lot of times, right? To care, right? So we can't force people to care. You know, I, I, that's sort of an old school approach. That's my belief. Mm-hmm. And I strongly believe because we are seeing a reckoning of all sorts of, you know, oppression in our society, racism, sexism, all the interplays, our old compliance-based approach has to change. Like we don't right. have a choice anymore. Okay. So I think that's part of what I say to managers too. I think some of the ways, I'll just give you like an example of some things that I've play with to get folks to care more and see it as an issue that they have to um, work on. And I'm working, you know, luckily with some organizations who are taking that approach. Mm -hmm. Um, One thing for a lot of mission-based organizations and even, you know, corporate organizations often, you know, have an important mission or they're looking at, you know, being sustainable, diversity is important. So go back to the missions, the goals, the values of your organization and see where you're like operationalizing and are not that mm-hmm. and see also how it sometimes relates to your retention, especially these days, a lot of people are leaving when these things are not dealt with well. So you can kind of go back to that in training. So they really understand how it's deeply connected to the core of what they do. It's a core kind of business <laughs> component. Some of the things that I do in trainings, like again, as I talk about unpacking some of these myths that we often have, you know, where we get, when I'm working with managers, get them to see how they may be biased against certain employees 
who bring something up because they've got those ingrained biases about, oh, she was exaggerating, or it was just a joke. Like these myths we have about sexual harassment, how we minimize it. And so that some of that consciousness raising, like to use a term in the 60s, I think is really what I do too with managers to treat them as humans or like, didn't know. And then they're like, oh, wait, okay, I'm not being maybe a good manager or supportive manager or a good leader here when I'm really being biased against a certain group of employees. So those are a couple of things. I think what's important, this is what I do too in some of my trainings, is I make room for the human component, which is making room for some uncomfortable conversations we have by creating group guidelines, which a lot of facilitators will say is important. So mm-hmm. in any of my training, you know, creating guidelines for what we can expect. And I get, I get participants to engage in that so that they create kind of a vision for what respect looks like. And a lot of times I get, you know, participants in my approach to engage as well. I'm not the only expert in the room. We all have expertise. So I get them to generate ideas for what respect and disrespect looks and feels like to get folks thinking and feeling about these issues. So those are some of the tactics I use. And another thing that's important to get organizations to understand and the people in the training to understand, like they should proactively deal with this, is to go with relevant examples. Like examples that have happened in the media for a lot of organizations post Me Too and examples that are coming up within their organization say, okay, this this happened, how can we make it better and make it super relevant. So I often co-create scenarios with the folks I'm training Mm -hmm. so that we can really go deep into, oh, what happened here and work on it. And that seems to bring it for all these things together are strategies I use to bring this to life on an individual and more organization level. So when you are working with folks, what is your point of entry? Are you finding that folks are coming to you because obviously because an incident has happened and they want to address it and, and, you know, improve going forward? Or are you seeing more companies taking this proactive approach? A little of column A, a little column B is my instinct answer to that question. I, I will say that I'm seeing this anecdotally, like with my work, but I'm seeing a shift. Mm-hmm. Right from when I first started, where there was quite a bit of reactivity, it may have been because there was certain legislation that came into force, and Me Too had just mm-hmm. been happening when I started doing a lot of these issues, where people had that heightened, heightened awareness. So I would sometimes have folks come to me for, you know, a really fast, what I'd call sometimes quick and dirty policy. Yep. You know, when there was legislation passed around Canada, as we know, around say, you know, psychological harassment and now sexual harassment is often seen as a component of that or workplace violence. You see that the, the spectrum is growing. Right. And like our language is changing in the law. So organizations got a little bit panicky in Ontario, as you know, <laughs> because there was new legislation. But now I give a lot of kudos to people who are doing tons of DEI advocacy on different issues, on black racism, on sexual harassment, on gender equality, for I think this, this awareness that I think we still have to keep pushing. But I've had some people come to me now with organizations wanting to position themselves as like, we want to do different. We don't know how, but we want to start with, say, a broader mandate to, say, work on sexual violence prevention for a year. And I'm working with an organization, for example, is doing that. And it's a more integrated approach, like not just a one-off training, but there's a policy, then there's training, then we kind of see what we need to do next. We're going to be doing a training for partners that they work with as well. So a more integrated, longer-term approach. And this wasn't as a result of incidents. 
this was the organization annually planning to think, okay, this is going to be a core part of what we do next year. And we want to hire this person. So I've seen that more. That being said, I try to be flexible because the entry point for a lot of organizations is panic. (laughs) So so I've made room now for a lot of organizations. The entry point might be what they think is a one-off training, Mm -hmm. but I work with them and I say, look, I always give them the caveat as I work with them for them to understand. And in the training, I'll strongly message, this is a continuous process and I'll kind of follow up with them. I think that's really interesting. I think that sort of summarizes one of the key key things is, is how if we think back at the top of the episode, it was what does this look like to pull it out of the filing cabinet, to pull the policy out of the filing cabinet, right. to bring it to life, is to think about this as not just something that you respond to if there's been a legislative change or there's been a um, an incident in the workplace, but this is something that needs to be um embedded into the organization's culture that it needs Mm. to be lived day to day and so for each organization that may look a bit differently but it's not just a one-off box ticking thing and I think what you said is that we need to move away from that and we need to live it in our values Mm -hmm. because that's how we ensure that our workplaces are are, you know respectful that they're free of um, harassment sexual psychological and otherwise violence that to me that's sort of like the main takeaway that I think that I that I've heard from you and I think you know, I, I feel like it sometimes folks could feel overwhelmed by it, but when you say we need to move away from a, a compliance to a human and heart-centered, that's really sort of how organizations can start to think about bringing this to life, is that it needs to move from from our desks, yeah, from, our, from our drives. <laughs> yeah, we, we need to move it and, yeah. and really think about how, how we can do that. And I think that's really interesting. So I want to let folks know that if you're interested in how to bring your workplace respect and sexual harassment prevention policies to life. Uh, If you're looking for support or guidance, if you want to move from compliance to action, you can reach out to Adriana and we're going to have her contact details, but you can reach her at Adriana at algconsulting.ca. Adriana, I know you also have a free needs assessment that Mm -hmm. folks can reach out to you and book as well. And we're going to have that, that link in our show notes. Or you can also visit Adriana's website for writing, for work samples, for case studying, case studies and more at www.algconsulting.ca. Adriana, I can't thank you enough for um, having this conversation. I know that, as I mentioned before, I was before we chatted, I had done a bunch of Googling, I'm looking at this, and, and I thought myself that these policies were just they're stale and, and what else do you do with them, right? And now sort of thinking about this and, the, and hearing more about the work that you do and the way that you're helping organizations sort of live this day to day. It's really interesting. I, I can't thank you enough. Awesome. I can't thank you enough. I love talking about these issues. So I'm so happy we had this one question today. I think it's the question of the hour. I think it's a great question. Let's you know keep getting people to think about that question, how to bring this policy, take the dust off, physically bring it out, bring it into life. How are you going to make it real? That is the question. Thank you. And for everyone who tuned in, thanks so much again for joining me on Just One Q. As always, if you have any of your own questions, you can feel free to reach out to me on LinkedIn. Until next time, I'm Dr. Melissa Horn, and this is Just One Q.